Hello, you're listening to After the Homily with Father Daniel Scheidt. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Trout. How many times have you had questions after the homily? How many times have you wished that Father had spoken on this topic or maybe that topic? And have you thought, wouldn't it be great to just sit down with the priest and talk about those things of the day that just didn't quite make it in the homily? Well, if that's the case, then this is the podcast for you. We'll talk about topics ranging from literature to politics, from church teaching to church architecture. If it's relevant to Catholics, to their daily lives, and their journey to heaven, it's on our agenda. Whether you're on every Sunday or a Christmas and Easter or a I can't remember the last time I went to Mass Catholic, we're here and we're here for you. Father Daniel Scheid is the pastor of St. Vincent de Paul Catholic Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, in the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. Well, welcome back to After the Homily, Father Dan. Great to be with you, Chris. Well, today we're, we're going to talk about a story that's been in the news that I, I think it would be tough if you if you look at any Catholic media at all, not to have heard about then Father, now Frank Pavone. You know, he's been laicized, as the term goes, or removed from the priesthood. And so I, I thought we would start our discussion if if you could just sort of share some insight into really what that is and what that is not. I remember when I was first ordained, I've been a priest for, for 21 years. The founding of Priests for Life was a real inspiration for me. And I distinctly remember there was a, a time when I was able to go to the March for Life. I think I went 11 years in a row before I became pastor and my other responsibilities took me away from it. But there was one year where Frank Pavone was leading the march with women who had suffered an abortion and, and found healing from it on either side of him, just leading the charge. And it's just so deeply inspirational and it makes the, the pain of, of the, the current situation just all the more acute and so I think a helpful approach before we get into all the, the legalities is that every priest on the day of his ordination makes a promise of respect and obedience to his bishop and his bishop's successors, which is a really awesome thing. And in a certain sense, it's, it's like a wedding vow because, you know, when a husband and wife promise for better, for worse, richer, for poorer in sickness and in health for as long as we both shall live, that's an act of faith. And, and the couple doesn't know what circumstances are going to develop later on for what better or worse, richer, for poorer sickness and health looks like. I would say it's even stranger in the life of a priest because one can have a certain sense of one's bishop's strengths and limitations and, and say, I promise to respect and obey your decisions. But 
that added phrase and your successors. That's, that's, that's not in marriage. Yeah. We don't say that so, in marriage. <laughs> so for example, Bishop John Darcy ordained me of happy memory. And now Bishop Kevin Rhodes, it's called my ordinary. Mm. He's the one who succeeds Bishop Darcy and in a sense gives me my orders. He assigns me to what he discerns is for the good of our diocese. And that's a very, very serious responsibility that a bishop has, and it has to be taken very, very seriously. So in the case of most parish priests, we're assigned to a particular parish. And if not that, at least work within the diocese. But every bishop can also assign a priest to work outside of the diocese. So for example, a priest can be assigned to, to teach in a seminary in the other part of the country, or a, a priest can be released to do certain types of missionary work or, or have an apostolate like priest for life. But that, that really is primarily an assignment of the bishop rather than primarily a personal initiative of, in this case, a particular priest. And oftentimes our ordinary sense of vocation goes in the direction of what I feel personally called to do. And certainly in the, in the job market, just to give the most basic example, oh, uh, I feel drawn to this type of work and I exercise my, my autonomy, my individuality, my freedom to pursue those forms of work that, that I deem most, most rewarding or, or necessary, culturally efficacious. So at ordination, what a priest is ordained into is actually the apostolic mission of the bishop. So it, it, again, it sounds strange, but the truth is my priesthood exists in organic relation to the priesthood of Bishop Kevin Rhodes. I represent his priesthood in the place in the diocese to which I'm assigned. And this is the church's understanding when it says that the bishop has the fullness of, of holy orders. Now, over the course of 2000 years, the, the church's tradition codified in canon law gives certain rights and responsibilities both to priests and bishops for that relationship to be a healthy one, a fruitful one, one that, that really is in, in communion with the Lord's plan for the church. So a bishop can't simply be arbitrary. And when conflicts arise, as they inevitably do, there, there does have to be structures of, of discernment and perhaps eventual adjudication to, to resolve things. And I, 
I don't want to get into the fine grain detail, other Pavone, simply because I think there are better essays mm. on this commonly available, and I don't I don't want to misstate particular details. So, for example, on his website, <laughs> he has pages and pages detailing <laughs> his side of his relation with any number of bishops, and and you have other statements from other ecclesiastical authorities saying what they say, but. But I, I will say this, it is very tempting for a priest to identify the center of his priesthood with a noble and even culturally necessary evangelical task. So it is, it is so tempting to say, of, of any good thing that I'm doing. So for example, I taught high school for 12 years. I loved every minute of it. And there were times in which Bishop Darcy thought that I was doing too much and it might be better if, if I just was pastor. Mm. And I remember there were a few years where I, I went to him and I said, Bishop, I, I think I can do both things. And the, the teaching really gives me life. And I, I, I really love it. Would you please consider keeping me on? And, and he did. Mm. And it was great. But he was actually right. And there did come a time in which it was unsustainable <laughs> for me to be pastor of a parish and teacher of record for two courses a day at the local high school. And so I, I went to him and I said, Bishop, I think the time has come <laughs> for me to, uh, to move on from high school teaching. And I'm really grateful you gave me the opportunity and, and he agreed. So in, in my case, I, I've been blessed to have had a healthy fraternal relationship with my bishop. Mm. And so a priest is both a brother with his bishop and also son to his bishop. <laughs> so it's also a filial relationship. And if that's not actively cultivated on both sides, then things really can deteriorate into a merely uh, juridical or even coercive relationship. And at a certain point, in Frank Pavone's priesthood, he not only indicated that he wanted to do the continued pro-life work on his terms, but, but actually stepped over into the realm of not wanting to obey the, the bishop's directive to and, reassign and him. And that really has nothing to do with the value of the work. And no, because Priest for Life has done some wonderful things. It it surely has. And throughout the history of the church, any number of saints have had uh, any number of authorities of church rank <laughs> call into question the work they were doing, remove them from the work they were doing. And various saints went through the, the remedies available to them. And when those remedies were exhausted, they, 
they submitted in obedience for the greater the greater good of of being obedient to their promises and and to leaving it in the hands of the Lord. You use that word that most of us don't really like. And I, I think of a good friend of mine, Father Ryan McCarthy in Indianapolis. And I've been on a couple of panels with him before. And he said, you know, everybody asked me about celibacy. He said, celibacy is a breeze. Try obedience on for size. Yes. But I, I'm curious, do you think young men discerning the priesthood, I, I suspect they're thinking more about celibacy than obedience. But that sounds like the challenge. You've got to yes. submit yourself to the will of another. Yes. Yes. I actually think the the two promises are are intimately related in ways that I wouldn't really have thought about in the seminary. For example, so I'm the pastor of my parish and I currently have three parochial vicars. And of course, they're assigned by Bishop Rhodes after the consultation with the personnel board and I'm not on the personnel board. And and so I, 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 I get up in the morning and I live with three other guys that I didn't choose to live with. So again, the fact that I, I'm married to the church, that I, I don't have a natural bride that I wake up to in the morning. The strange thing is because of obedience, I wake up and I have three brothers in the house and I have to relate to them as family and as, as collaborators in this mission. And I, throughout my priesthood, I, I've always worried about priests who formed their own call it what you will, apostolates, uh, their own initiatives that made them the authority over many other people in a way that wasn't directly accountable to the one to whom they had promised that accountability, namely the bishop. So I, I can think of any number of priests who, whose individual pastoral ministry just grew to a certain point in which they made the prudential decision that I'm a kind of, kind of bishop of my own life and I answer to Jesus alone and what Jesus wants me to do as I discern what Jesus wants me to do. And it's a setup for, for a fall. I think it's called Protestantism, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that to a degree. Yes, yes. But, you know, I worry about, you know, priests as they become celebrities. Yes. Um, and we see it happening. You know, Father Calloway, of course, Father Mike Schmitz. Yes. You know, Father Larry Richards, they're doing phenomenal work. I'm guessing they live in constant awareness of the dangers. Yes. And they have a close relationship with their bishop. In the case, for example, of Father John Ricardo, you know, there's a constant discernment with the bishop of the best use of, of his skills mm. and, you know, and leaving his parish to do the new work. That's a big sacrifice. And, 
And that flexibility to go where one wouldn't have gone is, is actually the heart of Sequela Christi, the following of Christ. So what is Peter told at the end of St. John's gospel? You know, when you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted. When you get old, you know, another one will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And that dying to one's own ideas, that dying to one's own grasp of one's uh, apostolate is, is a greater conformity to Christ than insisting on doing it my way and serving the deterioration of people's understanding of the, the hierarchical structure of the church. You know, it's, it's fascinatingly yet beautifully complicated, isn't it? Yeah. And so, you know, it, when a priest establishes something that has real evangelical fruitfulness, so you take, for example, Robert Behrens's word on fire ministries, and uh, at a certain point he was made a bishop, and that, that had to take a different form. So he starts out as uh, the rector of a seminary, and then this initiative takes a different form, but all of this is in communion with the bishop. And, you know, now as a bishop, he has that. But there have to be structures of, of accountability because there are, you know, more and more money involved and there are more and more staff involved. And the priest who is managing all sorts of money and all sorts of staff members, so when Frank Pavone you know, was accused of the sexual misconduct with a number of uh, staff members. Again, I, I'm not in a position to adjudicate the, the truth of those claims, but, but there is a pattern when one creates a life that isn't tethered to, for example, a parish the likelihood of misunderstandings and, and slipping away from one's promises, it, it just grows exponentially. Yeah, this stardom seems so risky, but it almost sounds like you describe sort of a careerism in the secular world. It would be ambitious. I want to be the CEO right. or I'll start my own company right. and I'll build it up. But that's not an option when you're a priest. Yeah, and... I, I just want to underline the fact that when Christ establishes the hierarchical structure of the church, I don't mean a system of mechanical control. Uh, we're not robots. By hierarchy, I mean a sacred order. Uh, so every living organism is organized, like literally, like organs functioning in relation to each other. And show me a non-hierarchically organized frog and I will show you a dead frog. <laughs> so when a priest refuses the place that the bishop wants to send him for the, the good of, of the whole, it actually makes the lives of, of multiple people 
more complicated. And, and, and so the, the temptation, especially as, as a, a given priest becomes more culturally influential, especially for a cause as noble, as holy as uh, the cause of, of the dignity of human life from its conception, you know, the, the temptation of thinking that one is irreplaceable, that comes in, but also the temptation to rely on politics as the driver of things. So the fact that at a certain point, Frank Pavone became so allied with a particular political candidate's election, that was clearly a a diminishment of, of his priestly witness. And the fact that the code of canon law just explicitly forbids uh, priests to get involved in that kind of organized political activity, it, it's meant to be a protection for everybody. <laughs> it's not meant to be arbitrary. So a bishop's job is really, really, really difficult. It, it's a martyrdom. And the, the promises of respect and obedience are there really to help the flourishing of the church. And I, I realize that the failures of the bishops, in a certain sense, they're ever before us. Mm. But when it comes to just the Episcopal martyrdom, you know, on the one hand, a guy's taken from one place and more often than not just assigned to somewhere where he's not from. And so like all of his relationships that have sustained him in his life are now gone and he's just plopped in wherever he's been plopped. The second martyrdom is all the problems that can't be solved at the, the lower, more local level become his problems. The third martyrdom is he's a circuit rider. So I wake up every morning, I have my people, I love them. I hope they love me. I think they do love me. But the bishop is is always in different places throughout the diocese and just isn't able to have the same type of closeness that an ordinary pastor would have. And the fact that bishops have to deal with problems at a regional level, at a national level, and in some cases, an international level, it's just really important for people, even in the midst of their own pain, at a priest that they've grown to love, to enter into the fact that Jesus Christ actually loves the bishop. Obviously, Jesus Christ loves the priest, but Jesus Christ actually loves the bond between bishop and priest. And the same thing with people's relation with the bishop. So, you know, if, if, if I'm a, a member of the, the faithful and I, I've been hurt by the bishop, you know, to meditate on the fact that the Lord loves me and the Lord loves the bishop and the Lord loves, in fact, has suffered and died and risen for the bond between the bishop and me, then we will understand the horror of the worldly breakdown of that. And 
there, there is a process for priests to be removed from the exercise of their priestly ministry, but once a priest, always a priest. So even with laicization, the, the indelible character of holy orders remains. So Frank Pavone remains a priest. And so even though he is no longer able to present himself, title father and uh, penalties, the church makes provision, for example, in the case of um, somebody dying for, for Frank Pavone to hear the dying person's confession and absolve them. And in the history of the church, there have been situations in which difficulties with one bishop have been resolved with another bishop. And in fact, Frank Pavone attempted to Change avail bishops, himself. Right? <laughs> yes. And with all the complexities that go with that. And he obviously hopes that the next Pope will review his case. But for me, the, the fundamental point is my obedience to Christ involves the dying to my plans, however noble, good, efficacious, and whatever my way of calculating efficacy is. And I would rather be closer to the suffering, obedient Christ than to set out on my own for whatever noble, however noble a cause. And the conversion from religion as politics is is just really, really important. And to the extent that the pro-life movement identifies itself with politics, politicians, a particular political party, I think its prophetic witness remains in need of, of purification. And so it would, it would be my hope that the witness that needs to take place person to person when it comes to cherishing, protecting each human life, advocacy, even in the political realm for the changing of laws, that that be served with communion with the church's shepherds rather than seeing the church's shepherds as the, the obstacle, still less the enemy. And I have to think, I know my own personal experience, when I would see something on maybe EWTN with then Father Pravone speaking so blatantly about one particular candidate right. versus another, there's a degree of angst. It just doesn't feel right. I would expect him to talk about principles right. where where we could decide how we should throw our our support, right. but not the individual, just the principles that lead to that decision. Right. I think we want to hold our priests to a higher level. Yeah. And I always watch where the demonizing goes. The demonization belongs to the, the devil uh, <laughs> the by, by definition. <laughs> and once individuals get demonized, once institutions get demonized, then without knowing it, we've slipped into playing the devil's game. And so Frank Pavone's bishop is, is not the devil. He's not the enemy. He's a successor of the apostles. He has limits. He has failures. He actually needs the support and prayers of 
of the faithful. And I just think that in this period, allowing conversion of heart for everyone is really the only way forward as opposed to just the continual agitation. When I look at that, that list of Frank Pavone's uh, relations with various ecclesiastical figures, I, I cannot help but come to the conclusion that at a certain point, he should have just allowed the form of his ministry to be transformed, not in a way that would step away from the pro-life witness, but that in a sense would die to his own ideas of the form of it and allow that to take a, a different form. And I mean, from a, from a very practical standpoint, what a powerful witness that would have been if it had gone differently to say, I'm actually doing just that. I'm stepping away from this thing that I'm so strongly identified with Yes, because I'm a priest and I'm obedient. Yes. And I, pro-choice identifies itself with my will. <laughs> and the movement of Christ is to empty himself and to become the servant, the slave of the good. And that takes, that takes the form of, of the passion. And to enter that, that helplessness, that being misunderstood, even persecuted, the fruitfulness of that path is, that's the way, that's the truth, that's the life. And I have to say for myself as a, as a pastor, I have had disagreements, in fact, very serious disagreements with both of my bishops. And we've talked about those things. We've suffered through those things. And my relation to them is actually stronger for having for having lived through that. And, and there is, there is nothing that is of God. If, if I were to reject being obedient to, to my Bishop. And so that dying to self, that's part of what it is to be married. Every spouse has to do it. (laughs) it. It's part of what it is to be a priest. And the greatest thing I can do as a pastor is, is create a culture so that if tomorrow I were moved to another place, that the structures would be in place for all of the good to continue and actually more good Mm. to come of it with, with new gifts being brought for what I've helped build. You know, much of this story has, has been reported upon in the, in the secular media, which is by and large non-Catholic, maybe with a Protestant bent and, I think our Protestant brothers and sisters really can't understand what you just said. So in our case, St. Vincent de Paul Parish, it's not your parish. Right. And if something were to happen um, in the Protestant world, the parish would break up and there would be three new parishes that would form. Right. Based on personalities of the leader in the Catholic Church, we, I don't think we could be further from that. But it's, a, it's a, not an intuitive concept. Yeah, I'm very aware that people have a personal relationship to, in a sense, somebody on the ground, somebody who has made sacrifices, somebody who has made courageous public witness, someone who has really 
just drawn so much goodness from so many people. And I, I realized that, you know, in my own life as a pastor, people depend on me personally. And in a sense, they trust me more than they do those at higher levels of authority, <laughs> just because, you know. It's human they, nature. Yeah. And so to, to work with that and continually to foster that deeper communion with the levels of organization in the church that also serve the gospel in their own way, that's the, that's the greater challenge. Yeah, and I think it's difficult, too, for us to separate the good of the work. I mean, you know, Pavone's work was very good, but that doesn't mean it justifies the problems with, with the obedience and the, and the death to self. Yes, and the, the public witness can't be conflated with the politicization of a topic of the deepest truths and, and simply identifying those with a particular candidate or, or movement. Mm. Well, I think people are, are confused. I think they're hurt, probably a little scared and thinking maybe this is something political with the Vatican or something like that. But I think your words are comforting as we wind down any, any final takeaways for, for this situation for listeners. I think that Jesus formed the Holy Family at a time of great political danger in a time in which all sorts of religious authorities were corrupted in all sorts of different ways by the, the politics of, of the age. And in the midst of all of those power struggles, Christ, the Good Shepherd, day in and day out, kept preaching the good, organizing people for the good. And when the worldly powers and the religious authorities attempted to eliminate him, Jesus entered his passion and, and gave himself to the end uh, in obedience to the Father. And the difference between a tragedy and a comedy is the happy ending. And Frank Pavone's living of this season of his life, belonging to Christ in the heart of the church, any of us living a relation to Christ in the heart of the church, in, in communion, in praying and fasting for, for the bishops, for, for Pope Francis, this is really the only way forward. And that's going to be the best witness we can give to people to make the decision to choose life rather than their own self-will. Well, Father Dan, thank you for another great conversation. I'm so grateful for it, Chris. God bless. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of After the Homily as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you. And I hope you'll plan to join us regularly for future episodes. Are there topics you'd like to hear about from Father Dan? Do you have questions that you'd like answered? If so, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at church at saintv.org and type after the homily in the subject line. Or you can message me directly, 260-450-8878, and start the message with after the homily. 
and a special thanks to our friends at Redeemer Radio and Spoke Street Media for producing this podcast. You can enjoy an endless variety of amazing Catholic content by visiting SpokeStreet.com. I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, and thanks again for listening to After the Homily with Father Daniel Scheidt. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.